Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be here together. A great blessing, a rich blessing. Praise God that we can be here together. Um, so I wanted to start off um, with a confession. I came to prepare uh, this message, and I started preparing, and the topic is hope. And in my heart, I was thinking, mate, it would probably be true to say, I'm not really inspired. That's probably a good way of putting it. I'm not really inspired to preach on hope. And I was bringing this before the Lord, and I I thought, Lord, you know, there's many other things I'm inspired to preach about, but hope, not so much. And as I thought about it, the Lord opened my eyes to see something in my own life. And there's many things in the, uh, in the life of a Christian that I appreciate, you know, faith, love, um, humility. I, I see and understand and, and know a lot of purpose in these things. Um, but hope is something that I've sort of, I just left it on the side of it. Didn't value it, I would say. I didn't really have a great level of value. Yeah, it's there in the scripture, that sort of a thing. But as I was preparing to come, I realized, you know what, Lord, I have not valued hope as I should have. And I had, to, I had to bring that before the Lord. And I believe in doing that, the Lord then began to open my eyes to see more and more of the value of hope, unlike I've ever seen it before. And so I'm really looking forward to share this message with you today. <laughs> but I share that from the perspective of, be honest with God. If you see something in your life where you don't value something about faith or about you know something in the Bible, but be honest with the Lord about it and He might show you, as you're honest with Him, something new as you humble yourself. So what I want to do is define hope, just giving it a bit of definition from the get-go. Hope, generally speaking, is it's you're believing in something that's going to happen, something that's going to come. It's not something that's happening right now. Um, and this, I was reading through um, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, and he just made this one passing comment. It was like two sentences in the whole book, and it just blew my, blew my mind. But he said, faith and hope are contrasted in this. Both require belief. Faith, though, is a present thing. Hope is a future thing. So we put faith in God that we're forgiven because it's a present thing. It's not something that we're waiting for. Forgiveness is now. And by believing in it, we receive the reality of that forgiveness now. Hope, though, is something we haven't seen. It's to come. So in Romans 8, 24-25, Paul writes this. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so hope is looking forward to something. You haven't got it yet, but you believe it's going to come. You believe it's going to happen. But you can't have hope unless you don't believe. If you don't believe, you're not going to be able to hope if you're in a place of doubt. And so hope is often contrasted with despair. Despair is essentially having no hope, being hopeless. When doubt has arisen to the point that the hope is completely removed... And you don't even think that what you're hoping for is ever going to happen. And all you're left with is despair. Despair is essentially no hope. And hope is so important. It's so crucial. It is actually life and death. It is that crucial. That's what the Lord helped me to see. Let me explain to you how that... I'll give you some very practical examples. 
I couldn't find it again, but I read a while back in some literature at some point, I was reading about some um, Jews in concentration camps in, in World War II, and I heard about the importance of hope there. And they said that um, once people lost hope, they died pretty quickly afterwards in the concentration camp. And I thought, why is that? Like, you've got food and water, you've survived all this time, why is it when the hope goes, you give up and die? To give it a picture of that, let's say I'm in a concentration camp and I'm hoping to be reunited with my wife. And I'm, that is what I've got my hope set upon, that one day I will survive this terrible place, I will get out the other end and I'll be reunited to see my wife. And let's say one day news comes to me and I hear that my wife has actually died in another concentration camp or through the war somehow or whatever. My hope is completely lost. I fall into despair. There's no hope that I will ever see my wife again. And when people ended up in that place, they gave up. There's no purpose. There's no point. Someone said purpose. There's no point anymore. And it would happen within a you know, a few weeks that that person would die. It was just a, a giving up attitude. You have a think about it. Suicide's something we don't like to talk about very much. It's very taboo. But if you think about suicide, why do people take their own life? They have no hope. Not all the, perhaps not in all cases, but I believe in a lot. They're hoping for something, they want to see a change or a transition in whatever area it is of life. They want to be healed. They want their family circumstances to change, their job circumstances. But they've lost hope. There's no point. Why should I continue to live? And it leads to death. Another example. Your marriage might be having problems, right? You might be in a marriage, you might be having problems. And you're hoping that the marriage is going to come out the other end, right? But maybe you suddenly hit something, either in yourself or your spouse, and you realize, man, this is going to be impossible. And your hopes quickly get sucked out like a vacuum. You fall into despair. Where's that marriage going to end up? Divorce. You've taken the hope out. It's, it's killed the marriage there. Do you see that? Hope is so important. It's life and death. When you, when you get down to it, when you boil it down to it, if we have no hope, the area where we have no hope, it will begin to die. And this is the picture that the Lord gave me about hope. It's like air. When you take the air out, you start to suffocate whatever that thing is. And then slowly, it doesn't happen immediately, but the thing dies because it hasn't got air. Hope is also like air, in that we take it for granted. We don't often think about it, it's all around us. How often are you thinking about the air you breathe? How often are you thinking about the things that you're hoping in? Probably not very often, unless you're in a point of crisis. But hope is so crucial. It's life-giving. And I want to put to you our recent experience that we've had, going through COVID, right? All of us were hoping that restrictions would lift. We were believing that that was going to happen. Believing that one day, we hadn't received it, but one day the restrictions were going to lift. 
In Romania, where my mother-in-law is, um, a while ago, she sent me a, a text and said, we have 2,000 cases a day in our country at the moment. Every day, 2,000 cases. And she did that uh, the little face with the, the tears streaming down like this. Do you know what? If Romania had 2,000 day cases a day, she would be happy now. They've got, I, I haven't checked, but I think six to 8,000 cases a day. And it's going up. Where is the hope there? Do you see how the hope gets pressured? And it's like the, the air can go out and all of a sudden you think, is this ever going to be, are we ever going to return from this point? Is it going to be possible? Hope is so crucial. And imagine we were in that case, in that situation, right, with our cases going and they just didn't decrease. Imagine we were still going up even now with our cases. Would you have lost hope? Would you have thought, this thing's going to, like, it's going to, is it ever going to be possible? Where would you be at? You, you try to hold on to belief, but it gets increasingly difficult. And then think about the effect that would have had on your relationship with God and your spiritual journey. As you get the hope sucked out spiritually and you start thinking, is it ever going to be possible to regather? And this isn't the only source of spiritual hope, by the way, I must point out. A gathering together is not the only source of spiritual hope. If it is, you're in a dangerous place. If this is the only hope that you have for your spiritual vitality is by gathering together, you've come out of a dangerous place. <laughs> but it's a significant part of it. And you can see there how when the hope gets taken out, it can suffocate and bring about death in that area. With time, you know, you do your best, you plot on without hope. But as the belief gets taken out of whatever it is, and it's, it, we're talking spiritually here now, if the belief gets taken out that things are going to improve, that they'll change spiritually, that you'll, you'll be able to grow again, you'll be able to um, be fed, you'll be able to encourage one, uh, other people, you'll be able to serve, whatever it might be, and you think, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. That is going to impact on your faith. But hope is not only life-giving, it's more than that. It's not only a life and death matter hope. It's a transforming thing. I'll read to you briefly just a verse from 1 John chapter 3. And you'll recall we went through 1 John this year actually. I'll read down verse 2 and 3 of chapter 3 in 1 John. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. How does that work? Hope purifies, hope refines, hope sanctifies. How does that work? Let me give you an illustration. There's two boys, they're the same age, and they play tennis together. One of them is playing because he plays computer games so much, his parents said, you've got to get out and you've got to do something for some physical exercise. So he's going out and he's playing tennis because his parents tell him to. And he, you know, he enjoys it somewhat. His friend, the other boy, he plays tennis, but he hopes to one day represent Australia. Do you think they're going to play tennis differently? 
Why? Because he hopes in something. He has a belief that one day it could be possible for him to represent Australia. And so that hope in that goal, in what he's aiming at, is refining the way that he plays tennis, the way that he spends his life. And the greater that hope sinks within him, the greater that belief comes in something that will happen in the future, it's going to change his life more and more. His diet will change. His uh, uh, commitments outside of school are going to change. His lifestyle is going to change. What he does on his weekends is going to change. The deeper that hope goes, the more it is going to change. It's going to train that boy into that direction. And he might come a point where he realizes, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And he'll enter into a crisis there. (laughs) You see then, that's where it becomes life and death for that dream. But the same thing with faith. What are we hoping for? There's two believers, two believers. One, they are hoping that they're going to get out of hell and that they're going to get into heaven, that they're going to make it. And the other believer, they're hoping that on that day when they see their Lord Jesus Christ, that they will know in their hearts as they see the face of Jesus, that they have lived a life that has brought him pleasure and joy. And that's what they're hoping for. To see the look on the face of Christ and to know, wow. To see the Father face to face and know, wow. I am so filled with thanksgiving that my life has brought my Father joy. Do we hope for that? Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. And you see, as we lay our hope in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Christ is the pure one. And as we put our hope in him, we become like him. I read this verse out a few weeks back uh, when uh, my friend uh, Kyle preached us from uh, Japan. And it says this, this is 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. You've got to pull all your eggs in one basket. It's a tough thing to do. But we have so many things that we're hoping for. Milton was just saying, you know, we use it in everyday language, hope. We're hoping for this, we're hoping for that. Hope to see you. Hope it doesn't rain today. Hope, hope this, hope that. And that's all well and good. We can hope for deeper things. Perhaps we're hoping for a job. Maybe you're hoping for a spouse. Maybe you're hoping for health. Maybe you're hoping for a house. Maybe you're hoping for respect from others. You can hope for many things. But all of those hopes have got so many variables in them. You can't control the outcomes all there. We all know that. We've experienced that. We've all experienced a dashing of hope, a shattering, when despair enters and all the hope in whatever it is is gone. So why on earth would you put your hope fully on the grace that will be brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Why would you do that? It's because it's going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to come on the clouds. We're going to see him. The trumpet will sound. Whether in our generation or another, we don't know. But he is going to come. 
And that's not something that we have seen. It's something that will be seen and something that we have to believe in. And again, it's not a, you know, it's not a faith thing. It's a hope thing because it's future. And so as we put our hope fully there, we can have confidence as we believe what the scriptures say, as we experience the reality. Dylan was standing right here just testifying to us a prayer the Lord answered just like that. Each one of those moments in our lives, as we engage with the Lord relationally, it deepens our faith. Like the boy who's playing tennis, you know, every time he's, he's refines his serve and he's like, that was amazing. I don't know how you could have returned that, you know? And then he plays it to a player he's like, okay, yeah, I can see how you could return that. <laughs> but you see, that doesn't stop him. It's a honing in always of the hope. And if our hope is set fully there, yeah, we're learning, we're practicing, we make mistakes at time, we might hit the ball out. But the hope doesn't leave us. And we're not then vulnerable to all these other, as vulnerable to all these other things that we're hoping for. And I'm, don't hear me saying, don't hope for anything else. <laughs> because we need to put hope in other things. That will also drive us towards those things. But when those hopes become so great and they squash out the hope of the grace that will be given us when Jesus Christ returns, then we become vulnerable. We're at the mercy of those things which we have no control over. We don't have control over the second coming of Christ either. (laughs) That's up to the Father. But we can be confident that it's going to happen. And that's where we can confidently place our hope. And you see, when we do that, right, when our hope is fully on the grace that's going to be revealed to us, man, come hell or high water, we're going to come out the other end. What can happen? What can happen that can steal that hope? We could go through an even worse lockdown. We could go through even deeper waters. We could go through a concentration camp. And come out the other end because of the hope that we have fully set our hearts on. That is going to come to us one day that we are confident of. And if you want to read a book about hope being tested. I'd recommend to you a book called Tortured for Christ. Uh, It's by a a brother of ours, a brother of yours. He's a Romanian man. His name is Richard Wumbrand. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But he spent uh, 14 years in uh, communist prisons in Romania. Um, two years of that alone was in solitary confinement. Mind-blowing. How do you survive something like that? Some of the things that he went through, the ways that he was tortured, he comes out the other end and, and re-enters into normal life. And he said, you know, I can't even open my freezer because of the things that I've been through. If you want to read a book and learn about hope, read that book, Tortured for Christ by Richard Bumbrand. And you can see there how as we, and and it's something that the Holy Spirit does within us, brothers and sisters. As we set our hope fully in that place, the Holy Spirit, we work with him and he brings about that work in our hearts and lives. We are able to go through far deeper things than we have ever been through. You consider the deepest trial that you've ever passed through in your life, whatever it might have been. It'll be different for every single one of us. The deepest thing that you have ever been through. The Lord, if you set your hope fully on Him, can take you through even deeper things for His glory and for refining you. The question is, 
Do you fully set your hope there? Let me read in closing a verse from Hebrews chapter 6. This is, I'll read partway through verse 18 to verse 19. We who have fled for refuge have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Again, hope is future, it's set before you. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Do you see how it's described? It's a sure and steadfast anchor for your souls. When you've got an anchor, you can go through all sorts of storms, but you're not going to be shifted. Brothers and sisters, look at your lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your hearts and minds and say, Lord, do I have this hope? And if you don't, you can do something about it. I can't. But you can work at that with the Holy Spirit. You can ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you if you realise you've come up short. And I want to point out as well that this is the Lord's purpose for us. The Father in His sovereignty is working out our circumstances to refine our lives with increasing measure. And again, through every, every valley, every mountain we pass through on our journey, brothers and sisters, the Lord is always looking at our hearts. And he's wanting that posture. You have a look at Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit descended upon him when he was baptized. And the words came from heaven. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. The person who has brought the Father the greatest joy. Was Jesus Christ. No one will ever bring the Father greater joy than him. But as he is born in us of his spirit. We can now do that. Do you know what the scriptures tell us? That by the flesh no one can please God. What is the flesh? That's something that comes from man. But it's by the Spirit. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you've been born again. And by the Holy Spirit within you, you can live a pleasing life to God. Without that, you have no hope of pleasing God. (laughs) I'm going to give you despair right there. You can despair of your possibility to please your Heavenly Father if you're relying on the flesh. And again, just because we're born of the Spirit doesn't mean we always walk by the Spirit. We can sometimes walk according to the flesh. Walk according to our own power, our own strength, our own desire. But when we crucify that and we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, it is impossible for me to please my Heavenly Father except by the power of your Holy Spirit. I reject my own strength to do this. I reject my own strength to to have hope, my own strength to, to be faithful, my own strength to be doing well. No. I crucify that and I rely on the Holy Spirit to birth in me a pleasing life and to bring that to fruition. And in that hope, we have been saved. Let me pray and we'll close there. Lord Jesus, every single person in this building needs to change. There is not a single person here who does not need to change. Lord, all of us need to humble ourselves. Every single one of us.
And Lord Jesus, thank you that we are not on our own. Thank you that you've given us a family to do this together. And Lord, we have experienced, probably unlike any ever before in any season of our lives, Lord, the importance of gathering together and what it is, what it does, just meeting together Sunday by Sunday, what we took for granted, Lord. We have experienced, Lord, because it's been taken from us, the importance of what happens here as we gather, Lord. Refining one another, sharing each other's burdens, walking together, encouraging, praying. Yet, Lord, even if it's your will, and that is taken from us, Lord, even there we are able to grow, to be refined, to be purified, as we set our hope fully on you. And so, Father, we ask that there will be a turning in our hearts, a deeper sinking of belief in what is to come, Lord. That, that, that belief grows deeper and deeper within us, Lord, in every one of us. We all need it, Lord. And how do I know that we all need it? Because we don't all look like Jesus yet. With increasing measure we are. We are changing to his likeness from one glory to glory. But there is changes still to happen in each of us, Lord. And therefore this belief of what is to come, Lord, that we are going to see our Lord face to face. That needs to grow deeper, Lord, and that's a work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask, have mercy on us, that you would do that within us. And Lord, may we feel the life-giving air that hope is breathing in and igniting a fire, Lord. Fire cannot exist without air. Lord, we ask for that, and then just to consume up the parts of our lives that are not of you, that we might set our hope fully on that revelation and the grace that we brought to us on that day and that we would look forward by the power of your spirit, not the power of the flesh, in seeing a beautiful, loving and pleasing smile on your face as we enter into your kingdom. And not to the same extent, Lord, but to some extent you echo those words that you spoke over your own son, Jesus Christ. You would speak over us, Lord. This is my son, this is my daughter whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Lord, we need your help and thank you that you have given it. Amen.